All right, some text messages that have come through. Let's see, what have we got here? We've got a whole slew of them um, in relationship to uh, war in the Middle East again, or the United States being, there's always war in the Middle East, but um, <laughs> the United like States one? being involved again. War kills people. Satan and his followers are laughing all the way to the bank. Yep. Very short, simple statement right there. Satan just loves it whenever there is war and whenever people are being killed, he just rejoices in that. And it's such a ridiculously profitable business. Yes. And you can use that word safely because it's factual. There That's is right. absolutely money to be made in these people killing each other in the most horrific ways. How did the Rothschilds get their millions? They funded both sides of the war. Yes. Okay, every day that passes makes me appreciate the Word of God more and more. Imagine Amen. if we didn't know what the future holds, as mm. frightening as it is. We have hope and all this pain uh, for involved will and all this pain involved will pass too. Righteousness will reign and judgment will come to all that do evil. Mm. Good statement right there. Um, great text message. Uh, another one here says, It seems that many of these uh, sites who are supposed to find out what the truth is have been bought out by the New World Order. Yep. Uh, this can now easily be proved by the mere fact that they are pushing the same agenda. Coincidence? Question mark. Jesus says, do not be deceived. You normally are deceived by those you trust. Mm. I like that one because you can find videos online and when a new particular topic of something comes out, you've got 15 to 20, 30, whatever it is, news stations all saying the exact same phrase. Like it's not yes, because there's only one source. There's all, they've all copied it from the same yep. single source. And, and, and it's the same, like even the most backwater, you know, K655 news channel in wherever, use the exact same wording. And nobody's going to, to, to uh, court for plagiarism. Nope. And that no one, uh, you know, no one in the mainstream disputes it. So it's and if, taken and if, as... And if you were doing a, an assignment, because you're studying at the moment, if you were doing an assignment and you handed an assignment that was exactly the same <laughs> phrase as like 600 other assignments, how well would that go down? <laughs> I would get a lot of red when I put it through eternity, and I can't tell you that much. I think that's like a... Uh, a, 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 a a, a booting offence, isn't it? You get booted oh, yeah. out of college if yeah. you get caught doing that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think I tend to... Particularly when you're studying ministry, you know, this is kind of... How can you be a minister if you're a plagiarist? Well, actually... I, if you're I a journalist, then that's different. started to do one subject essay because it was a really great, interesting topic on creation and Genesis, and I love... Oh, Genesis cool. is my favourite, yes. along with Revelation, my two favourite books in the Bible. And so I started doing this straight away. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to launch into this, and I went crazy finding all this information. I found a quote on Moses using the concept of image and likeness and interchangeably five or six times through Genesis. So we're made in God's image. Seth was made in Adam's image. He used a different word to show that there was a difference between the likeness of Seth coming from a fallen Adam and the perfect Adam created from God. And so I wrote this quote down and then I looked at my assignments and realized my Adventist heritage assignment was due way before this one. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm putting effort into the wrong one. So I switched quickly. Months, well, weeks later, when I actually start to get back onto the Genesis assignment, I didn't have a reference for that piece of information. Oh, no. <laughs> and I've thrown it in. And then I've got a call to go into the office of the seminary. Because you didn't reference it. 
and I thought, oh, I'm done for plagiarism. I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even six months in and I'm out of here already, essentially. <laughs> Turns out it was a different issue, but I was just sweating the whole time and I'm thinking, how do I explain this? So okay, Daniel, to- just let me explain something to you real quick. There's this thing called radio, <laughs> which when you confess your sins, everybody gets to hear them. What's done in the dark will be brought to the light. <laughs> And this may re- may result in the reduction in your in your mark on that particular assignment. It was. I, I, I thought about like how do I explain? I'll just let them know exactly what happened. I started this ages ago. Didn't remember necessarily, and then once I'd submitted it, it's, it's gone. It, oh, for no, some reason, it's still it's there. Like God's impressed it upon me. That's the first thing that came back to my brain, and I went, oh, "I'm done." <laughs> I'm, well, I'm well aware of the. Uh, yeah, because they've got very cool. They've got very got very cool. Um, Software these days where they can take assignment, run it through, and make sure that everything's referenced. Very true. Very anyway, handy. Isaiah chapter 40 is 50. 50. Is where we're up to. So I'm going to say 50 verse 4. Revisiting. Where I got, yeah, no, we're going to chapter 50. So we're kind of skipping through, which is a bit sad. I think we should have just taken a whole year and done Isaiah. But anyway, it is what it is. Uh, let's it's start long reading. Enough, isn't it? Yeah, it is easily. <laughs> Uh, Let's start reading in verse 4. You want 4 to 10? Yeah, 4 to 10 will work for us. Bible says, Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Okay, I'm the only one in this studio that's allowed to use KJV. Just letting you know. It's a rule. Would you like me to switch to Amazon? <laughs> right. How else are you going to follow along when I start talking? <laughs> start talking about beards in NLT and it's not in KJV. Uh, are you got in NKJ or KJ? KJ. Uh, you got uh, you got the real one. Yeah, got two. Go Daniel. You got a multi side by side, so you can look at it and go, "I'm not quite understanding ye old English." Let me look at the modern. <laughs> <laughs> All right, keep going. All right, switching to New Living Translation at the direction of the boss. <laughs> the Sovereign Lord has spoken to me, and I have listened. I have not rebelled or turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting, because the Sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will not be put to shame. He who, dare, he who gives me justice is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you're walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Love this passage, particularly in the context of, you know, some of the subjects that we've been just talking about, you know, because, you know, particularly that last bit there, you know, um, when it talks about walking in darkness and has Mm -hmm. no light, let him trust in the Lord. Amen. Sometimes when I am, you know, in this world, I feel like I'm walking in darkness. It's just I'm surrounded by darkness. I'm oppressed by darkness. I don't want to have anything to do with this world. It's like, Lord, just... Stop the world, let me get off. Every, every morning when you do the negative news, I imagine it's very much like that. Well, it's, it's, the, it's the serious news. It's the serious news, Daniel. It's the negative. It's the serious news. You could have, you have a positive one the other week. You stole the limelight and took one of those positive stories. I was going to tell a positive one this morning, but I ran out of time. Oh. There's a uh, couple up in, uh, I think it's in Queensland, that um, decided to foster children. 
And so they became foster parents. Amen. And for the next 33 years, they fostered children, and they fostered like 130 kids or something oh. rather during that time period. Sometimes they would have three newborns in their home at the same time. Imagine what? night feeds for that. No. So these are, these are newborns. like, And, yeah. and they uh, specialize in fostering disabled children. So these are disabled newborns. Three of them at once. You imagine you're in the middle of the night, one of them starts crying. They all start crying. A symphony of crying. Um, you start to feed one. You know, it's just like, wow, you know, there's some heroes in this world. So then they, then they stopped doing that after 33 years and 130 kids and went to prison chaplaincy, did that for the next 20 years. Praise God. Amazing people in our world. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So it seems like they're positively different stories. That's beautiful. They got the OAM for it, which is well deserved, I think. Yes, definitely. And uh, now they've now that they've retired uh, from uh, foster care and prison chaplaincy. They've moved on to um, uh, volunteering at the local op shop. That's beautiful. So you know, some people just don't stop. Oh, and they're in their eighties as well. Your ministry doesn't end until you're dead. Ooh. Your life ministry doesn't end until you're dead. You'll always be able to help somebody or influence somebody or be positive towards somebody and show them a side of Christ right up until you're gone. Never that's stop, a, people. That's, that's a profound statement. That's a, a, a Daniel profundity for you all this morning. <laughs> OG, trademark, copyright. All right, so uh, let's go back to our passage here because our passage, you know, we looked at that last bit there. You know, how often do you feel like you're walking through a world of absolute darkness? Mm. And it really sort of, you know, you see, and I'm going to talk about, probably going to talk about the uh, equality legislation that is working its way through the US system right now, which is absolutely terrifying for any, anyone who is a person of faith. Anybody. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Full stop. <laughs> it's, it's just like, this is really, really scary stuff. Yep. And, of course, we've got, you know, bits and pieces of it here in this country, and you kind of wonder where is it going to stop, and it's not going to stop until, you know, ev- anybody who decides to follow the Bible as the Bible reads is brought mm. into line. Amen. That's It's, 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 it's on a one-way path. That path has begun, and that's where we are headed, and our world has become a scary scary place. You would have the most magnificent, albeit fallen world in the history of worlds, if everybody adhered to the Bible. Yes. That's, yeah. It's simple. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You look at 50s, old-fashioned values, model people were raised in a Christian environment. Obviously, there were troubles, but not troubles like we're seeing today. We had this, this period of time where people were adhering to biblical principles and... There was prosperity. There was love. There was just created the civilization that we have now. Created the morality Amen. that we have right now. It, it the bizarre thing about it is that the desire for this equality legislation is driven by the concept of being kind. Yes, and the whole concept of being kind to others only exists in society because Christianity put it in society. Yep. Go back and study your history if you don't believe me. <laughs> this is not something that evolved. This is something that was created. This is the influence of Christianity. And I, I try and put to, to people quite often who don't believe in God, I say to them, where does where did goodness start? At what point, if, if we look at it from an evolutionary point of view, per, per, spit at you evolution, yes. if we look at it from that point of view, at what point did Cro-Magnum thull? decide that he'd rather give his deer to other Cro-Magnum Ugg 
instead of clubbing him over the head and stealing his stuff. And why? And why did he think if I share my deer with you, this is going to be a good like? I want to there know. Is no, there is no evolutionary model for no, morality. I want it pinpointed. Atheists pinpoint to me where goodness started. I'll yes. tell you where it started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's exactly where it started because there is no evolutionary model for morality that works. No, because you can be an incredibly. You can be a yeah. Look at a white, great white shark. How much morality does it have? <laughs> you know. It meets another great white shark. They procreate. They lay an egg. The egg floats around the ocean randomly by itself for the next, like, what, half a year or a year or something or other. It then hatches and a killer comes out and lives its life just killing things. It's like, yep, I'm born, time to eat. An incredibly successful species. Morality is not a requirement for success as a species. Many Jewish, Jewish Christian evangelists are saying that thousands of Jews are believing in Jesus now because of Isaiah 52 Amen. to 53. Praise God. It's actually taken out of a lot of synagogues. Isaiah 53 is removed from their teachings. And if you talk to a rabbi about it, this is what I've, I've looked into the One for Israel ministry, amazing ministry, bringing the truth to a lot of Jews in Israel and other places, Jerusalem around the world and proving to them that the Messiah is Christ and they're coming to Jesus and it's such a beautiful thing. And they will have stories and on the YouTube site. So if you get a chance, look it up, one for Israel ministry. And these people talk about how they've been to a synagogue, spoken to a rabbi, and they refuse to talk about Isaiah 53 because it so clearly points to Jesus. And Isaiah 50 is just another example of that that we yes. are reading right here that so clearly points to Jesus. And it's a bit scary when you've kind of got to start, you know, well, let's not read that particular passage because whenever we read that particular passage, our religion gets damaged too badly. Yeah, take it out. Okay, we'll take out any part of the Bible. Where are you going to stop? Falls apart. Where are you going to stop? You're going to start taking out messianic prophecies in the Bible. Where, where, how much are you going to be left with? Yeah. Okay, let's go back to verse 4. The Bible says, The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakes morning by morning. He wakes my ear to hear as the learned. Now, this is interesting. The Bible talks about you know waking morning by morning. It's only by God's choice that we continue to exist. Absolutely. And there's also that opportunity every morning when we wake up to spend that time with God. Amen. And learning about God. Uh, the Lord has opened my ears, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Now, we're going to notice as we work our way through this particular prophecy that this is a prophecy that is about Jesus. Mm. Particularly when it comes down to verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to those that plucked out off the hair or pulled out his beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. And when you read the story of Jesus, and particularly the story of his crucifixion, the Bible says, the Bible talks about how, you know, he was sent between Herod and Pilate, and sort of neither of them wanted to have anything to do with his trial, and they were all looking for an escape, and it's like, well, Herod, you deal with it, and Herod's like, no, well, Pilate, you deal with it, and of course, Herod and Pilate were bitter enemies, they hated each other, uh, you know, one was a Roman, one was a Latin uh, the other was an Edomite, and the, they were great rivals. You know, who has the power here? Well, it's the Roman Empire. No, who has the power here? Well, it's Herod because, you know, he's he's been appointed to have the power here. And, uh, of course, this was the point they became friends. Mm. They were like, yep, we have this in common now. 
But the whole time that Jesus was being bounced backwards and forwards between Herod and Pilate, and they're all trying to pass the buck, of course, he has to run the gauntlet through the streets. And as he's running that gauntlet through the streets, the Bible says they literally were ripping out his beard. Daniel, you kind of have this epic beard going. Have uh, have you ever had any of the hairs of your beard plucked? I've done it myself. Actually, my first front grey one came in the bottom here a couple of weeks back, and I'm like, oh, you can go. Boink. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it kind of hurts, doesn't oh, it? it does big time. Imagine if you, had, if you just had somebody... Whole clumps pulled out. And that would take a... F- you'd have to pull hard. You know, I imagine that would be just about half tear your... your uh, you know, you'd feel like the, the the whole cheek, the whole side of your face was coming off. Which is why when I was in policing, they want it trimmed down because when you're arresting somebody and they're fighting for what they believe is their life and their freedom, they will grab at anything they can to try and... And so if it's too long, that will be a target in a fight. Yeah, wow. Okay. So Keep it trimmed close to the face, just had, in case. You've got, you got a bit more freedom now, Daniel. <laughs> I do. Um, but the Bible talks about how that... You know, there were smiters. Yes. I love that old English. Mm. Um, he was being beaten. The whole time he was being dragged through the streets, people were beating him up. The Bible talks about how they put the crown, that was when they put the crown of thorns on him. They put a purple robe on him and, 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 a, and, a, and a stick in his hand as for a scepter. Taunted him. And taunted him. Mm. And then they would take that stick and beat him over the head with it where he was already wearing a crown of thorns. And then they would rip out his beard and this was just unbelievable uh, brutality brutality mm. and physical abuse that Jesus was suffering. We would, we would look at this as being horrific in our day, mm. and yet this is the kind of injustice that was happening to our Saviour, who yeah. came, to this life and gave, came to this world and gave his life for us. And it's, it's more acceptable... In those times, for what was going on, like the crowd yes, was because Christianity hadn't changed the culture to a ch- culture of kindness. This is true. The crowd was spurring them on as well, spurring on other people to do so. And when you get that mob mentality, people just completely lose their minds and go with the flow, and they get caught up in the fervent craziness of what's going on. And we can see that from the descriptions we read in the Gospels. Absolutely, and the simple reality is that every single one of us has the capability to do these kinds of things. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Let's go back to the passage that we have in mind. Uh, we, were, we were talking about verse 6 where Jesus suffered incredibly incredible physical abuse. And at this particular point, we have to ask ourselves the question and Daniel had a thought here, but we have to hold it until we get to verse 7. But anyway, um, <laughs> but we have to ask ourselves the point, why did Jesus suffer so badly? Mm. What is the wages of sin? Death. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, does that require a crucifixion death? No, it does not. Does it require incredible abuse? No, it does not. An abusive death. No, the Bible just requires... Oh, we've got another one for for, for um, bragging rights. Uh, right there. So we've got another few coming through. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, so that doesn't require... Um, 
Any, anything Cruces- that no, Christ went through. Yeah. Uh, to pay the penalty for sin, you could come to this earth and you could argue that you, so long as you die, you have paid the penalty. And so long as Jesus comes to this earth and Jesus dies because he's the one who made the law and the one who is equal to the law and therefore the only one who can die for the law, for the to, to meet the demands of the law, then you can argue that um, that you know he could have come to this earth and just sort of peacefully passed away in his sleep. Problem solved. Could you imagine taking that concept of what Christ went through and going to somebody and going, "Hey, look, you've had a pretty good life. You've had all these blessings, all these wonderful things. Um, we'd like you to die this way." And them going, "Yeah, okay, I'll do that." <laughs> Here's the offer. Abused, mocked, spat on, beaten, hurt, cut, crucified, abused in so many different ways. Well, you're, th- you're, three, you're three levels of abuse, uh, physical abuse, sexual abuse, ritual abuse. That's kind of what we have in our world today. And, you know, Jesus was very clearly physically abused. But yep. what we forget is that uh, this all took place while he was naked. Mm. You know, you put that into, you know, if, if you were in a, in, a, in a policing environment and you found that kind of environment, you would say that that's not just physical abuse, that's going another level. Yeah, Ritual yeah. abuse, of course, is when it happens in a religious context. Yep. So Jesus has suffered every kind of abuse that is possible for a human being to suffer on this one day, just all built up on one day. Now, he's suffered a lot of abuse down through history, but he cops a whole lot on this one day. So why? Why does Jesus, why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus allow this? It's not like he has to. No, it's not like he has to let it happen. To. It's crazy. It, it itself becomes a paradox, doesn't it? It does. And when I stop and think about it, it reminds me of a passage in uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, if you could flick over to Hebrews chapter 2 for us, please, Daniel. Almost. And read, read us the last two verses. I think it would be like verse 17, 18, thereabouts. Okay. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Absolutely. The Bible says, wherefore in all things he was made like unto his brethren. So Jesus was made like us in everything the Bible says. And then he suffered like us in the way that we suffer. For what reason? The Bible says that he can be a merciful and a faithful high priest. It it really gives him this human understanding of what we go through and what we are capable of going through and the brutality and horrors that we're able to inflict upon each other in this world. How would we ever relate to Jesus Christ if he came down to this earth, lived a charmed life and died in his sleep? Mm. What would that really do for us as human beings? Like, yeah, we've got this great God who loves us so much he died for us, but... He has no idea what we're going through. Well, well, good for him. And then you look at the apostles. Well, you know, they wouldn't have been influenced to be martyred the way that they were. In there would such not be the motivation ways. that there is to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If that was what Jesus had done, we'd be like, yeah, you know what? That's kind of a selfish kind of God who's like, yeah, okay, he's done something here, but we would never be able to. Christianity would never have had the power of the gospel would simply not exist if yep. Jesus had not suffered. And the reason that the power of the gospel exists is because Jesus 
suffered so that he can relate to us. This is how much he loves us. He didn't just die so that he could spend eternity with us. He suffered so that he could relate to us right now. Mm. In our broken, fallible human states. Yes. Yes. that, That itself is just completely against... You look at every single other, quote unquote, religion and culture, and it's the complete opposite of all of them. And this is the power of the gospel right here. Amen. Uh, I love the way it continues on in verse 7. And it says, For the Lord God will help me. So this is a prophecy that is speaking about Jesus, and it's Jesus speaking about himself. It's a promise too. Yes. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Okay, so why is it then that the Bible says, you know, Jesus is saying that the Lord God will help me. Isn't Jesus the Lord God? Why would Jesus say that? Well, the answer is very, very simple. When you look at what is at the context of this, this is Jesus speaking in his humanity. Yeah. And Jesus in his humanity relied on the help that he could gain from the Father. He had that, he had the power himself anytime he wanted to use it. And he never used it once. And it gives you a great example of that difference between the humanity he had and the divination that he was capable of. Like it really draws up that parallel, showing, as you said, you know, he talks about it at times. I could call 10,000 legion of angels at my side right now. But he didn't. He relied on that human state to fulfill what was required of him. Beautiful. Absolutely. It's a very, very powerful thought that. Jesus became a human being like us. And so that, you know, even in this passage here, when he's going to his death, and even when he has the power to call on 10,000 angels, or to even just say, you know, I just like a uh, an injection of painkillers right now yeah. that he could have had because he is God. At any point, at any point he could have reached out for that, but he didn't. He reached out to the Father, and in this instance, you know, he was even cut off from the Father. Uh, because of the, the sins of the world. And so he says, you know, I've set my face like a flint. I'm not going to back down from this. I'm not going to back away from it. I'm simply going to follow through with this calling. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. I think it is now time for... Question of the Day. All right, today's question is, how do I know when I am ready for foot washing and communion? If you're a sinner. Amen. That is the primary qualification for foot washing and communion. You need to be a sinner for that to have meaning and relevance. If you are not a sinner, it's not going to have meaning and relevance. Christ says, come to me as you are, not come to me after you've learnt these things and become perfect and don't do as many sins. Well, the whole purpose of foot washing and communion is because... We've committed sins. Yes. You know, that's the that's the simple reality of it. It's interesting when you look at the uh, history behind foot washing. And I'll just say this, because a lot, of, a lot of churches don't actually practice foot washing as a part of their communion anymore, which I think is a bit sad. And if you've never experienced it, head along to a church that does. And uh, it is so it's a very humbling. special, very special spiritual yep. experience that you can have yep. um, as a part of the communion service. <clears throat> um, but, you know, the whole, the whole concept behind it is the concept of cleansing from sin. Mm. The whole concept behind it is that you have sinned and are in need of a saviour. So if you go to John chapter 13, you know, where Jesus does this, and you've got Peter 
Um, and uh, Peter's like, you can't wash my feet because you know. That, that would, <laughs> how can the how can how can my creator wash my feet? God and Jesus says, universe. yeah. Jesus says, look, if I don't wash your feet, you can't have anything to do with me. And he's like, well, dump, dump the bucket of water over the top of my head <laughs> and wash me from. I'm paraphrasing here. Um, Peter said, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Mm-hmm. And so this was, you know, foot washing was a very important part of the culture of the day. But it also carried very, very rich symbolism. The use of water carried symbolism of washing away of sins and um, the concept of baptism. So they had ceremonial uh, baptisms that took place as a part of Jewish culture before John the Baptist started doing it as a part of uh, the Christian religion. And you would have times when, you know, they would ceremonially wash themselves. And the foot washing was kind of a, like a mini form of that. You know, it was impractical to, you know, have a swimming pool in every home, but you could have a bowl of water in every home where you could wash people's feet. And Jesus says, um, he that is washed need not accept to wash his feet, but he's clean all over and you are clean, but not all. Symbolizing that the washing of the feet was symbolic of the cleaning of the whole person. And why does the whole person need to be clean? Well, the whole person needs to be clean because we're all infected by sin. Amen. So if you haven't sinned, right, and you're going to communion, don't do foot washing. <laughs> so that includes the requirement here. That includes nobody ever then. That's right. This includes nobody ever. Um, the, the requirement for, for foot washing is that you've sinned and are in need of a saviour. Mm. If you have sinned and if you are in need of a saviour, if you need Jesus in your life, then foot washing is something definitely you should uh, participate in and be a part of. It has a cultural aspect too, doesn't it, of the times? Very much so. Very, very Everybody's walking around getting their feet dirty. It was seen as a servant's kind of job. The lowest person in the house, you know, a foot was something that was an insult. It was the ancient equivalent of the naughty finger to show somebody the sole of your foot, all of that kind of thing. And here comes... The God King of the Universe and washes feet. Sits down to wash, humbly sits down to wash others' feet. Yes, because you got to remember that in the streets of a city in the first century, uh, with the amount of animal transport and so forth that they had, and the fact that the sewer washed straight into the seat from the into the street from the homes, uh, you were looking at up to you know six inches thereabouts. What's that? One hundred and fifty millimeters of raw sewage that would be in the street. Mm. And that's what you'd walk through. So it was had a very practical thing as well. But the Bible goes on and it says here, um, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I am your example. Um, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. So Amen. Jesus said, look, go and continue practicing this, uh, not because of the practicality of it, but because of the symbolism of mm-hmm. it. And it's kind of sad that it's disappeared out of Christianity as a part of the communion service. We love to take the uh, the salvation that comes through the bread and the wine without the humility somehow. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.